uh, uh, witnesses are, they serve an important role in, in many facets of our lives. Um, certainly in our judicial system, um, you know, witnesses are, are used to credit or discredit uh, a prosecution or defense's case. Um, witnesses are a testimony of the truth in our judicial system. Um, we know that uh, as it pertains to spiritual things that an elder, if an elder has done something wrong, be, an elder cannot be accused except two or three witnesses again testify to the truth of the accusation. Um, the scripture tells us in, in the gospel that uh, you know Jesus says that you know if one doesn't hear you, take uh, take another brother with you as a witness to testify to their transgression. So witnesses serve a, an important role in, in our society. They are evidence of truth. If two or three people see it, then it must be true. That's the reason why we have UFO sightings or we have you know people who believe in aliens is because you know you have a group of people. One person will say, "I saw that UFO." It's like, I ah, you know. Nobody else saw it. Well, then what happens? Well, I got witnesses with me, and they saw the same thing, so it must be true. Um, we know that um, even our judicial system, right, that if somebody commits a crime, a mob, mobster guy commits a crime, what is he going to do? He's going to create an alibi, or he's going to say, it's not me, I have an alibi, see? These two people were witnesses to the fact that I was not there at the time that this person's life was taken. Um, but we all know that witnesses can also, um, while they are maybe um, important in, in being evidence of the truth, they are not the end-all, be-all of the truth. Uh, we know that witnesses can fabricate things as well. Witnesses, um, human witnesses, are also subject to what they call suggestive thought, right? So somebody would come up to me and say, hey, Thomas, you know, you were there, you saw it too. And I'm like, what did I see? You remember, you know, this, that, and the other? You saw blinking lights in there, rotating counterclockwise, and I'm thinking, did I see that? Well, I was there, right? So, and I, do I remember seeing that? Now that you mentioned it, I think I remember seeing that, even though I'm not sure that I saw it, but due to suggestive thought, I have now become evidential, uh, what do they call that, uh, um, circumstantial evidence to the truth, right? Because I'm a witness to seeing that UFO. Or, you know, somebody says, uh, were you at dinner with this mobster? Yeah, I was. Um, he didn't commit that crime, but I, I forget that he left the table for a half an hour, 45 minutes, right? Um, and that was ample enough time to commit the crime. But no, 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 I can testify. I'm his alibi. I'm a witness to his innocence. But there is one witness that we cannot, uh, that we cannot escape from. And that's the witness of God. His eyes are ever-present. Um, God is a witness to all the things that you do in your life, whether they be good or bad. His ever-presentness, His omnipotence, um, is a testimony of whether or not you are righteous or unrighteous. You know, when He stands, before, when we all stand before the judgment seat of God, He will look at His 
He will look at all of the things that are written in the book. Jesus, our mediator, will mediate on our behalf, right? And he will, Jesus will use the evidence of the things that we've done in our lives as, the reason, as to whether or not we should be, uh, lay hold on to eternal life or whether, you know, the, the condemnation of eternal death is, is something that um, is worthy of our turn or is, is uh, a reward of the things that we've done in our bodies. What's the evidence? Who's the witness? God is the witness. And not just God. Who else is up there in, in, in paradise? Who, is, who else is up there in the kingdom of God? And I say up there, but, you know, his kingdom is spiritual, so it's all around us. But just follow, following along with this analogy of God being up there, looking down on us. Who else is up there? Well, we know Jesus, who sits on the, uh, the right hand of the throne of God, he's there as well. If God and Jesus are the same, and the scripture tells us that they agree in one, Jesus also sees the things that we do. What else is up there? It says that there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Son, and who else? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is up there. Watching, looking, observing as a witness of the things that we do. Who else besides the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Well, we know that there's angels up there who minister to the saints, as we've discussed before. They are also witnesses of the things that we do. What about the things below? Who is running in and out of this world? Satan. Satan sees everything that we do as well. He is a witness. Who is with Satan? Well, we know that Satan has his minions, his angels, who do his bidding as well. So guess what? The angels of Satan, the ministers of Satan, are also witnesses. When we get to the scripture reading of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 about this great cloud of witnesses, I think about a cloud as is something that's over-encompassing, right? You know, you go up into a fog, uh, you go up into, you know, you go down to the coast, right, and it's just foggy, and it seems to kind of envelop you, right? Your, your, sphere, your sphere of living is enveloped by this cloud. Now, think about all of the spiritual beings that are witnesses to everything that you do every minute, every second of every day. You cannot escape them. In, in other facets of life, you can escape a witness, right? You can step aside, right? Um, there's a number of different things. There's, there's holes in the stories of physical witnesses. But spiritual witnesses, you cannot escape. Because they are literally a cloud that encompasses you on all sides. Amen. Whether they're up above or whether they're down below, they're always watching you. I, I think it's a little eerie every time we sing that song. There's an eye watching you. Every step that you take, this great eye is awake. There's an eye watching you. And I think 
that's, I don't know. Sometimes that puts a shiver down my down my spine to think that there is an ever-present eye watching you. That is a witness, a a spiritual witness to the things that you will do. Now, when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you can't call on a character witness, can you? Other than Jesus, but Jesus has already seen the things that you've done. So yes, he will testify to your character because Jesus cannot lie. So what will he do? He will say, uh, brother, brother, brother Thomas, because he and I are brothers, will say, and I'll say, Jesus, Please, testify to my character to our Father. And Jesus will say, certainly. Father, our, my, my brother, your son, is an unrighteous person because I have witnessed his character on a number of occasions. God the Father will say, he will look at me and he will say, he will say what? Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. And then, there I go. Next, Brother Porter comes up. Brother Porter stands before the judgment seat. He turns to his brother Jesus and says, Jesus, please, as a character witness, please testify to the Father uh, of my character. And Jesus will say, certainly. Father, your son, my brother Porter, is a fantastic, righteous man. I have seen him work and I've seen him live faithfully. I've seen him do all the good things that you've commanded him to do. And the father will look at Brother Porter and say, Well done, the good and faithful servant. Enter into the, uh, to, to, to the land of rest. Enter into the kingdom. And I know I'm quoting that verse incorrectly, but you get the point. If you have your Bibles, turn to... Uh, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Now, some may say, well, Jesus, you didn't see me all the time. There are billions of people that have lived in the span of human history, trillions even. How is it that you witnessed every single one of them? Did you witness Moses? Moses was before you, before you, uh, before you came into this earth as, as a man and died. And said, we, we know that story, right? We know as it states in the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 1, about the Word, right? That in the beginning, the Word was God and was with God. Jesus and God were together from the very beginning. It goes on to say that that word was made flesh in the form of the man, Jesus. But Jesus has always been a witness. Yes. He's always been there to see everything that man and woman has done. In Revelation chapter 14, there are other witnesses that I just want to highlight to you. Start at verse 1. John, as he's um, experiencing this vision of heaven, he says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb capital L, we know who that is, Jesus, stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, 
as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of the harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. There are 144,000 um, people um, with this land on the mount, and it says that they had having uh, the Father's name written in their foreheads. Now, we, we know what that means. Um, we know that there are some that were going to have another name written on their foreheads, mm -hmm. which is the, the mark of the beast. Um, but in this case, we find 144,000 with the name of God the Father on their foreheads, meaning that they are designated as being gods. They are God's children. And if you can imagine Jesus standing on the mount and 144,000 others standing with him, where are they looking? Are they looking up or are they looking down? I mean, if they're on a high place, right? You know, logic would dictate that they're looking down. Who are they looking down on? Are they looking down on God? Certainly not. Are they looking down on the throne? Certainly not. What are they looking down on? The only place that they can be looking down on is upon you and I. 144,000, including Jesus, two sets, uh, a set of eyes for each person that's standing up there looking down on the map. John is looking up. So what are they doing? They're looking down on John, and they're looking down on you and I as witnesses. Seeing all the things that you and I do. You know, the, the scripture tells us that the thing that is done in secret will be revealed. And I'll tell you that the thing that is done in secret, as soon as it's done, has already been revealed to the eyes of those witnesses. Amen. You can't do anything in secret and think it's secret. I can't do anything in secret and think it's secret. There's a, there's a way to cover your tracks, right? It makes us feel better um, to feel like we have the ability to cover our tracks, right? We, we, we go someplace, we do something, and so we don't want others to witness that because it's revealing of what's in our heart. And that can be scary. I mean, that can be uncomfortable for people to know who you really are yes. inside. Yes. It's uncomfortable for you even to think about who you really are inside. We even try to fool ourselves. If you're a bad person, you know you're a bad person. But you don't want others to know. What if you're a good person? Do you want to hide that? What do you want to do with that? You want to let everybody know how good you are. You don't hide from it. You don't cover up the tracks 
of good works, of righteous works. You let those tracks stay out there so they can be seen. Because, you know what, God also wants them to be seen. The scripture tells us in, a book, in the book of Matthew that we are light set up on a hill. We should let our good works, what? Be self-evident to everyone around us so that they may also glorify God which is in heaven. We want our good things to be known to everybody, but our bad things, not so much. Here's the truth in the matter. Is whether they're good or bad, they can never be hidden. They're out there to be seen. Now you may think, well, how can these, uh, these 144,000 people judge me when there's only one man who lived a life without sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth? We'll continue to read on about these 144,000. It goes on to say in verse number 4, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men. They, they were men just like us. They were just like you. These 144,000. It says, Being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no God, for they are without fault before the throne of God. These are not just your average, ordinary witnesses. These are special witnesses. Because they came, they lived a life just like you all, just like me, just like you. It says that there was found no guile in their mouth. They are without fault before God. These 144,000 pure, unadulterated, righteous men or women. I can just say, and or women. Mm -hmm. These are expert character witnesses because guess what? They have lived just like you, just as Christ did, and they were able to get from their beginning to their end perfectly and without fault before God. Now you may ask yourself a question. Man, that is a high standard to live by. How can I possibly live up to that standard? Knowing what I know about myself, knowing what I know about my weaknesses and my faults, how is it that I can live up to that standard? I mean, am I failing before I even begin? I mean, how can I possibly correct all the bad things I did um, after my baptism, and I stand before the judgment seat of God and all those witnesses, how can I possibly measure up? If you have your Bibles, uh, turn back to the, uh, the book of Hebrews. I'll ask another question before we, before we read that. In your heart of hearts, do you believe that God is, do you believe that God puts more effort in, put, puts more emphasis in the results or in the effort? Think about it for a second. I'm trying hard to live righteously. 
and I just don't meet the standard. I tried really hard, brothers and sisters in Christ. I tried really hard, and I just fell short of the mark. Do you think I am damned to eternal destruction? Because even in my best efforts, I was not able to meet the mark. What do you think? I mean, in your heart, don't answer that question, but you know, do you believe that God that God will say it's okay? You did your best. You gave it a hundred percent. You came close. But you gave it a hundred percent. You know what? I'm gonna reward you for your efforts. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Almost faithful, almost righteous. I don't believe so. As a matter of fact, I know so. Amen. It's very clear. It's black and white. You either righteous or you're unrighteous. But take a look at what, uh, this isn't a but, but this is an addition to that. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, uh, Brother uh, uh, Lil Thomas, Brother T3, um, read that again, please. <clears throat> Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily upset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. So, <clears throat> my race is not your race. You know, the the idea that uh, why would God send his son Jesus to live a life without sin and without guile in his mouth? I mean, why would God say that we have to be Christ-like? Why would he set the bar that high? I mean, would it, would it be easier for us if Christ maybe committed a few sins here and there? Would it be easier if God just kind of dropped the bar a little bit, right? To make it attainable. The way that you're feeling right now, the kind of the mindset or the, the theme behind those statements is, is that you don't believe, or that statement implies that you don't believe that it's possible to live a life without sin. You don't believe that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you follow all the things in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can obtain eternal life. Even though you are the most horriblest person on the planet, you don't believe that the power of God found in the gospel is able to redeem your soul from everlasting destruction. If you believe that you can't measure up to the legacy of Jesus Christ and you don't believe in the power of his gospel. Amen. Did you not hear what uh, the Hebrew writer said? The Hebrew writer said, because there are so many witnesses observing the actions that you do on a daily basis, what should you, what should you do? You need to lay aside that sin 
that do it so easily beset you. Now, the sin that besets me is not the same sin that besets you. But what do we have to do nonetheless? we got to push it aside. Mm -hmm. Because we are constantly being observed. Whatever that sin is, sidestep it. Put it aside. Is it possible to do that? Absolutely. Go back and read uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and read of the, all of the men and women of faith. Think of Abraham. Think of uh, Deborah. Think of um, Noah. Think of Ruth. Uh, think of Boaz. Think of all of the great men and women of faith. Do you think that they were just as challenged as you were? Absolutely. The scripture says that there is no sin that has befallen you that is not common to mankind. Amen. Everybody has gone through Somebody in the span of human history, a faithful man or woman, has been through the exact same things that you have gone through. When I made the statement, why did God make you know, that bar so high? Also implies that you don't believe that Je you don't believe that Jesus was just as much of a man and just as much subject to sin as you are. Somehow you believe that Jesus Christ was some new super, uh, supernatural, alien, superhuman being who was endowed with special strength. No, he was a man just like you. He was subject to the same temptations and desires of the flesh that you are. Yes. It goes on to say in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it says, <clears throat> and run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking where? Looking unto Jesus. Now, we just read in Revelation chapter 14, John describes that, what did he do? He didn't look down, he didn't look to the side, he didn't look straight ahead. Where did he see the Lamb sitting on the Mount Zion? Up there. Right? So, why would God set the bar at eye level? Think about it for a second. Why would God not set the bar up here and not down here where I'm at or below me? Because if the bar weren't up high, it's implied. I wouldn't be able to look up. I wouldn't have the ability to look up. Looking up does not mean that it is unattainable. Looking up means that you still have some work to do. Amen. Yeah. So it says that we need to look up to where? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of the throne of God. He is a witness. That's the reason why he's a perfect mediator between man and God. Because he is a witness of the things and the challenges that you go through on a daily basis. But he is the author and finisher of our faith. As long as we continue to look up 
to that lamb on Zion. As he's surrounded by those great witnesses, as long as we continue to focus on Jesus, we can be like, we will be like those 144,000 who have no God in their mouth, who will be found without fault before God. Here's a practical application. All of us have... Well, first off, let's talk about what an application is. An application is... Okay, so if you have a computer app on your phone, they call it an app because it has been programmed and designed for a purpose. An application is basically taking something and using or or something has the ability to be used for a purpose. Mm -hmm. I have a hammer. I know its application. It is to strike nails into wood. And therefore, I can use it for that purpose. It has a purpose. It has been set aside for a purpose. Now the practical application of what we're talking about here is this. If you know you have witnesses constantly surrounding you, acknowledge who they are. You have two types of witnesses looking at you. You have the witnesses of the Almighty God, and you have the witnesses of the ever-present evil that exists in the world, Satan. In those moments, or I'm either going to be doing good or either I'm going to be doing bad. I need to acknowledge those witnesses. If I'm about to do something bad, if I'm about to sin, I need to stop and acknowledge the two types of people who are watching me. I need to acknowledge that, oh boy, God the Father is watching me. But here's the flip side of that coin. You also need to acknowledge that Satan is watching you as well. Why would Satan be watching you? What does he have to gain out of being a witness to your sinful transgressions? What do you think? What does he have to gain? Well, let's go back to um, <clears throat> the book of Jude. Um, Jude chapter well there is, there's only one chapter but uh, <clears throat> hold on one second let me, let me find what I'm looking for um, Brother Garner uh, can you read for me verses 9 and 10 the book of Jude. <clears throat> Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, devil he disputed not the about the body of Moses, durst not bring <clears throat> against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee, but speaketh evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Why was, uh, why was uh, the devil disputing with Michael about the body of Moses. The devil 
was a witness to everything that Moses did. And guess what he did? He said, Michael, I think not. I think Moses is not righteous because I'm a witness of his evil deeds. I saw him on June such and such at such and such a time do this, Michael. He is not a righteous man because I'm a witness to his evil deeds just as much as you are. Why do you, what does Satan get out of seeing you do sinful things? What does he get out of being a witness of your sinful deeds? Is because he also uses that as a justification to say that you are worthy of eternal damnation just as much as he is. He's going to throw it back into the face of the Father and say, look at this, one of your children who you sent your son to die for. He's not a righteous man, just as much as I'm not righteous, because I'm a witness to his evil deeds. You have to acknowledge who those witnesses are. And say, I, I know somebody's watching me. I know the good of this world, and I know the evil of this world are watching me. God is looking at me and saying, Ah, my son, you have fallen. I will, I will show long-suffering with you in patience. Just like he showed Moses. Long-suffering and patience. Satan is saying, He's not worthy of your long-suffering and patience. Because he's a sinner. He is one of mine. He's not yours. He's one of mine because of love. I'm a witness to what he did. Running the race just simply means to acknowledge that there are observers, that there's a crowd watching. I have to commend people like LeBron James. LeBron James has 3 million followers. He has paparazzi going all over the place, right? He is a a very fit, they were saying that uh, um, he is his image and the things that he does and his influence on the world. Um, he's probably worth him, him himself. He's probably worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Companies like Nike, Gatorade, um, all these pro sports teams, they make billions and billions of dollars. Just simply off of this man. When was the last time you heard LeBron James cheating on his wife? Not paying all his money in taxes, doing drugs, or drinking too much, getting in a car accident, hitting a woman, like all the other NBA players. I have to commend him. With all those people that are watching him, yeah. he's relatively squeaky clean. I can't I don't know of any, any story that I've heard of him doing it. Now, we know that he's not a perfect man. Amen. He is, certainly has guile in his mouth. There will be, God will find fault. He's not innocent in the eyes of God. But, I can't speak anything ill against him, right? I haven't seen her... You know how he's able to do it? He's able to do it because he understands people are always watching. Mm -hmm. 
And because he understands that people are always watching, guess what? He's a smart cat. And because he know that, knows that people are always watching, guess what he does? As it states in verse number 1. That sin or that temptation that so easily besets him, he never puts himself in predicaments where people could ever talk bad about him. Because he's smart. He knows that whether I'm a good person or a bad person, people are always going to see me and observe my actions. So guess what i got to do? You remember what happened in the finals? J.R. Smith didn't shoot that shot at the last second. Right? They go into overtime, they wind up losing to the Warriors. Cameras, which are always watching, focused in on him. He gets back to the bench, he has a hissy fit. I mean, he goes left. Right? He's like, what? I'm not even going to be a part of the high five, right? The team break. I mean, he just has an uncharacteristic moment. In his moment of weakness, right, he lets his true nature show because guess what? He gets caught on camera. And guess what? People every day on social media are talking. They're saying he's not a good leader. They're, they're saying he's a crybaby. They say that he gave up. I mean, they were talking all about the man's character. They were making all sorts of assumptions because they were witnesses of his action, of his behavior. We always need to be mindful, brothers and sisters in Christ, that while we don't have paparazzi following us, while there isn't a camera on us all, there is always somebody watching you. Amen. Satan's watching you. God's watching me. And if I know there's somebody watching me all the time, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to run my race with patience. I'm going to be mindful of where I put my foot every step of the way. I'm going to keep myself. What did Paul say? What did he say about keeping his body under subjection unless he be a castaway? He talks about that, right? He says, run that race. And not as one that beat at the air, but one that strives for the masters. One who wants to get that prize. And he says, I bring my body under subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself might be a castaway. Mm -hmm. What is he saying there? He said every time he's out there, of every waking moment, he's running that race. He's, okay, body. Okay. I'm sidestepping this temptation. I'm sidestepping this sin because I know who's watching me. Now you may say that is a horrible way to live life. Have you heard that? There's no freedom in that. Right? I feel like I'm not free to be me. I'm always second guessing myself. I'm always, I can't be happy. I can't truly just be me. I can't stand people watching me. Stop watching me. <laughs> I just want to go home. Yes. Right? That's why you love going home, right? You go home. My mom loves being alone. Why does she love being alone? Because there's not eyes watching her. She can just be in her home, yes. kick off her shoes, and just, ah, oh, just relax. Oh. But guess what? There's always people watching. 
it gets back to I get back to the last thing that we talked about <clears throat> in the in the sermon last Lord's Day about how long is your life? Anybody remember what the scripture reading was um, last Lord's Day? Sister Bill, you have the notes? No, I don't have that with you. Give me a second here. I gave the lesson, so I should know. Was I listening? <laughs> Lord only knows. Uh, it's in the book of James, right? Thing was James uh, chapter four. says in verse number 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? What is your life? What is your life? I, this verse is uncomfortable in every way, shape, or form for men and women, for human beings. Mm -hmm. yes. Because what is implied here is that your life is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. You know, I tell my kids all the time, um, do your best, right? Enjoy life, but maximize it, right? And sometimes we can put so much importance in our lives that you know, it, be, it just becomes, it becomes too much to think that I will spend the remainder of my life trying to live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. But what is your life? Your life is insignificant. Yes. You think about flies. I kill flies every day. I don't think twice about it. You want to know why I don't think twice about it? Because I know right outside my house where I put my dog's refuge, there are thousands and thousands of other maggots that will come out and replace that fly that I just killed. In the grand scheme of things, me killing flies is not a big deal. Okay. Hitler killed how many Jews? Millions of Jews. And we think, no, that is a travesty of travesties. How could a man kill to take that many lives? That is bad. <coughs> he should have thought twice about it. Why didn't he think twice about it? Because he didn't value their lives. He thought, yeah, what's a million Jews to in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. You know what he also did? He also killed children with disabilities. He killed the deaf and the mute. Uh, the um, um, the the what's the word I'm looking for? People who didn't have arms or 
you know, didn't have too many fingers or whatever it gives me. It doesn't matter. I'll kill them like flies because I don't value them. I'm not saying that me. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. What I'm saying is, is that it's very easy for us to. It's uncomfortable for us to address this question of what is your life. But the truth of the matter is, Elizabeth, is your life is but a vapor. It's here today. Gone tomorrow. <coughs> Just like that. So, if our life is insignificant, and maybe, I don't want to say insignificant, because it certainly is significant, because God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins, mm -hmm. but what I'm trying to say is, is your life is as short and temporary as that, as, as vapor. So is it too difficult for you in that, ins in that short amount of time, that temporary moments of life that you have, to dedicate yourself to doing what? Keeping your body under subjection. Mm -hmm. Being careful where you place your feet. Running that race. Knowing that everyone around you, I'm not talking about everyone, not physical everyone, but mm -hmm. spiritual, everyone around you is watching you. Every second of every day. I go back to LeBron James, and this is where I'm at. LeBron James, when he was in Cleveland, he had his, and the irony in this is staggering. He's standing with his arms out, looking up. Right? If you can just imagine the the irony is just, it's beyond me. I, I almost think it's comical, but he stand, he stand there as if he is Christ nailed to a cross, an imaginary cross, looking up, right? The spiritual irony of that image is staggering. And what's even more staggering are the words that are written underneath it. Witness greatness. The city of Cleveland, looking up at their Christ, witness greatness. What? Now he's out of Cleveland and they're taking it down. Right? Because they can't witness it anymore because he'll be in another city. But here's what I'll say. Is that while we are, while we have witnesses... We can also witness greatness. When we look up to Jesus. When we look up to Jesus and see Him. See how He lived His life. See the decisions that He made. See the challenges that He was able to conquer. We can look up at Jesus, the author and our finisher of our faith, and witness what? True greatness. And all we have to do, brothers and sisters in Christ, is acknowledge who those witnesses are. Mm -hmm. 
Acknowledge that they exist and they are ever present. But also acknowledge Jesus. And acknowledge that as long as we look up to Him, as long as we allow our lives to be guided by Him and by His gospel, we'll be able to stand before the judgment seat of God. And you know what Jesus will do? You, if I have done those things, Jesus will, I will look at my, my brother Jesus and say, Jesus, please, as my character witness, testify to your Father, to our Father of my righteousness. Or testify to my character. And Jesus, my brother, if I have continued to look up to him, if he truly is the author and finisher of my faith, he will say, certainly. Father, your son has lived a faithful life. He has finished his course. He has fought the good fight of faith. I can testify to his righteous character. And God will say, Jesus, my only begotten son, based on the words that you've spoken, because your words are true, he will look at me and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's what we want to hear. But let's be mindful of those witnesses. Let's look up to God, the author and the finisher of our faith. If you are here this morning, and uh, there is something in your life um, that, uh, that has kept you from living up to the standards that God has set forth in His Word, and His standards aren't very high. There's only two... Com- Let me phrase it. His standards are not unachievable. There are two things that every man and woman must do in order to make heaven their home. First one, love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself, even your enemies. If you do those two things, if you love God and you keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous to those who love Him, heaven will be your home. But again, if you're here this morning and you've not been living as you should, if you've been a proud person, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Amen. I talked about that a couple Sundays ago about humility. Yes, yes. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, I was a little disappointed this morning um, when I asked if anybody has anything on their minds to get it off their chest. I know for a fact I know for a fact that there is something on each and every one of our hearts including my man. Now you don't have to stand up yes. and just let it roll off your tongue right? because we'll be here all day. <laughs> but here's what I'll tell you. There's a reason why we meet every week. God in His infinite wisdom set it up that way. Because there's baggage that we carry with us. These are the moments where we can get rid of that baggage. Amen. If you're here this morning and there is some baggage on you, 
Just say, hey, brothers and sisters, I got baggage. Please pray for me that the Lord will give me the strength to deal with this baggage or take it off my plate. You can say something as simple as that. Mm -hmm. But when, when you know that there's something on your heart and you have an opportunity to get it off your heart, take advantage of it. That's the reason why we have a family. The scripture tells us that we are to confess our faults one to another. Guess why we should not we shouldn't be bashful about confessing our faults one to another? Because guess what? It's already been witnessed. What do you got to lose? Nothing. Somebody's already seen it. Somebody already knows what you did. Somebody already knows your dirt. Right. So what does it matter to you that you verbalize it out of your mouth so that others can pray that God will give you the strength to overcome it. Mm -hmm. If you're here this morning, this lesson um, is for me more so than anybody in this room. I need to do a better job acknowledging those witnesses. Uh, because even I think I can... Heather's not watching me. Right? <laughs> Or even in my head, I think nobody can read my thoughts. Right. So I can say whatever it is I want to say in my head. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Because guess who's witnessing that word that you just said in your head? God the Father yes. and the evil one Satan. They both heard it. Mm -hmm. And they'll both do something with it. So if you're here this morning and you need prayers of strength, you need prayers... Um, that God will forgive you of that transgression. If you're not a Christian here today, just understand <clears throat> what is your life? Yes. <laughs> what, and that's, that, that's the beautiful thing about being a part of a small congregation mm -hmm. is that you know we can tailor things to the specific yes, needs. Amen. If you're not a Christian here today, what is your life? Now, you may not be ready today thinking you'll live to tomorrow. Tomorrow may not go. Amen. So what is your life? It is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. Amen. So with the time that you have, if you are ready yes. to be added to the fold, take advantage because today may be the only day. Amen. What must you do? You must hear the gospel. You must believe it. You must repent. You must confess with the mouth of Jesus Christ the Son of the living God. You must be baptized and live faithfully until death. I don't know. I, 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 Heather's going to give me the, the time signs. I, I don't want to repeat myself, I guess. And neither do I want to repeat myself thinking I'm trying to convince you of something. Yes, right. I just... I don't know, sometimes I feel like I don't have the eloquency of words to, to truly kind of portray what I feel the scripture is, is portraying to me. Yes. Um, every day is a learning opportunity, every day is a challenge, um, but it won't last as long as you think it will. Oh, Amen. Mm -hmm. Brother and Sister Bill have lived 88, 87 going on 88, but let's say 88 years um, of life. We may think that's a long time. It is not. I mean, I'm 38, and time just flies by. It, yes. it literally does. Yes. 
you will look up and you will be on your deathbed in a moment's notice. Um, it happens that quickly. With the limited time that we have, every day just commit yourself, this is the day that I'm just going to focus on keeping my body under subjection. Yes. Even when yes. the ghetto of this world Amen. Amen. can under your skin. Right. Not going to let it happen right. today. Amen. I'm going to set aside that sin, that do so. He's going to set me knowing that there is a great cloud of witnesses watching me. Yeah. And these are the witnesses that are going to testify to my righteousness or to my unrighteousness. I will tell you this. If you don't believe me, go back and read the book of Job, the first chapter. Yes. Yes. It says the sons of God came before God, as, they, as, as it implies that they normally do, including who? Satan. God said, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? How he is the most righteous man and faithful man that, that is on the planet. And you know what Satan says? Yeah, I've seen him. I'm a witness to that as well. I've seen all the good things that he's done, God. And you know what? The only reason why he's doing those things that I've seen him do is because you protect him. Yes. And I guarantee you, if you remove that protection, he will curse you to your face. God said, do what you will with him, just do not take his life. Yes. What that lets me know is that Satan is watching as well. And he's looking for every opportunity to say, aha, God... Yes. Yes. If Jesus won't testify to it, I certainly yes. will. Because he's the one that's yes. put in that temptation before us in the first place. So the lesson is yours. If you have the urge and need to do so, please come forward. Because we're sending this on.